Hi there, my name is Grant Fishbook and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Community Church in Bellingham, Washington. And I'd like to thank you for accessing this online content today. You know, one of our deeply held values here at Christ the King is biblical community. In fact, our mission statement starts with the words, our mission is to create an authentic Christian community. So while we're so glad you've chosen to join us today, I also wanna remind you, this is just no replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community in a local church. So if you're watching this around the world or in different part of the country, we really wanna encourage you to get connected in a local church where you can both get to know Jesus and be known as a person because your life really matters. If you happen to be in our area here in Whatcom County, we would love to invite you to any one of our five campuses. You can find out our times and locations at ctk.church. So once again, thank you for joining us today. We're gonna to head into the worship center right now as we begin the next part of a series that we're simply calling Neighbor. Try that again. Good morning, everybody. A little better. Good to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. And as we get started today, not only want to welcome you, but also want to welcome one of the largest group of people that joins us, but they just don't join us here. Um, they join us via the internet. And so I'd like to welcome everybody who's watching online today. We have a significant number of people who watch online, and we're just glad that you've chosen to be with us today. As we get ready to dive in, I want to give you just a couple pieces of information. Uh, during the month of February, my wife and I, along with two other couples from Christ the King, are going to go on an adventure. We're going to be gone for about 24 days, and we are going to go and sit face-to-face -face with most of our global missions partners around the world. We're going to be in Europe, we're going to be in Africa, we're going to be in Southeast Asia, and we're going to go in order to meet an extension of Christ the King who just happened to work in different parts of the world. 24 days, a crazy, crazy trip from beginning to end. We're actually going to fly all the way around the globe and come back hopefully in one piece. We will hopefully be asking you to be praying for us during that time. Every weekend, I'm gonna send back video of where we've been. We're gonna play just a gigantic game of where in the world are Grant and Laurel Fishbook. That's what we're gonna be playing in the month of February. So while we're, you're doing church here, we're gonna be doing church with some of our strategic missions partners. Hope you'll be praying for us. One of the hats that I wear here at Christ the King not only is teaching pastor, but I also do a lot of work in the area of missions because I care deeply about what Jesus is doing around the world. And if some of you would like an opportunity to kind of dip your toe into that service missions orientation, we would invite you to check out a place in the, in the uh, commons. It's under the banner of missions. Scott Sayers is sitting out there. We're going to take a trip to do some Hurricane Harvey relief work in Houston. Certain parts of that city were very, very devastated. And in some of the lower income areas, they just don't have the means to put pieces back together again. We'd love to send some Jesus followers there to help out. And just replace some of their homes and help them. And so if you are interested in that, you can go see Scott in the comments. There's so many opportunities out there. Just hope you'll be thinking about, like, I mean, if my marriage is in trouble, it would, it would make sense to go and connect with some marriage mentors in the comments. If I'm a guy and I'm struggling with sexual addiction, it would make sense to go and spend some time with the guys at the Stand Firm booth. And so I just encourage you to take a spiritual next step as we get ready to take a next step as a church family. 
Because last week we started a new series that we're simply calling Neighboring. And we began with a simple question that prompted some conversation here in the church. And this, the, the question was simple. Do I take Jesus seriously? Like, do I actually listen when he tells me as a follower of Christ to do something? Do I take him seriously and do I actually think about obedience? Last week, we took a walk through Athens. We started with the Apostle Paul declaring to a group of Epicureans and Stoics. You'll remember them, right? They were relativists and moralists. They were crudes and prudes put together in the same particular audience. And the Apostle Paul, this little spark plug of a preacher, says these words to them. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determines the time set before them. And then I talk to you about a little phrase that's been driving me crazy for about six months. It says, and he determined the exact places where they should live. That your geographic location is no accident. That it's sovereignly intended by God to be there, not just so you can take up space and pay taxes, but so that you can be a part of an incredible mission that Paul actually tells us in the rest of those verses. He said, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and, and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So we learned geographic location, not by accident. Not by economics, not even by your personal choice, that God chose the exact location where he puts you and the people surrounding you because he has a purpose and a plan in that particular placement. And that helped us see Jesus speak. You know, we, we saw two old commandments that we're all familiar with, and we've been hanging out at church at all, but we saw them in a new light because we had to ask ourselves, Specifically, do I take Jesus seriously when he says this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Do we take him seriously when that's what he tells us our life is supposed to revolve around? And most of us, let's be honest, we go, of course we do. Of course we do. And we pay lip service to it, and we cheer the pastor on when he talks about it, and we, and we put it on t-shirts, and then we, we, we pick which one we like better. And we pursue that one. And if you're like me, I pick the first one, because I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can do that in the comfort of my own home. And I'm an introvert, so that means I don't have to have a conversation with anyone other than Jesus himself. And it doesn't involve messy people, and it's tidy and clean and convenient, and it works for me because I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and work a remote at exactly the same time. And I'm behind a garage door of protection, and nobody can touch me, so I focus on that, and I go, absolutely, I love the first commandment. Or you're in the room, and you're like, I'm an extrovert. Loving my neighbor as myself, that's easy for me. And I like doing nice things for, for nice people, and so that's what I do. And I serve, and I serve, and I serve, and then I get tired, and I, and I stop, but that's okay. And we pick as if it's a multiple choice exam. And we have to stop and ask ourselves the question. Do I take Jesus seriously when he says... Both of them. 
I'm going to say it again. You're going to get so tired of hearing these words from me over the next couple of weeks. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm not asking you the question. I'm asking me the question. And the reason I'm asking myself the question is because when God first started pressing this into my heart, and I'll be honest with you, I think this is a revolutionary idea. I also believe it's a remedial idea. But as soon as God started pressing this into my heart, I started looking for loopholes. I started thinking, how can I get around, especially the second half of what Jesus said? And I don't think I'm the only one to ever do this. In fact, if you open your Bible to Luke chapter 10, I'd like to introduce you to somebody who did exactly that. They heard what Jesus said, and then they started looking for loopholes. The Bible says this, Luke 10 verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. He nails it. Fantastic. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Do you see that? If you do this, you will live, which means the counter argument is also true. If you don't do this as a follower of Jesus, you'll die. You'll die in self-righteousness, you'll die in isolation, you'll die in disobedience. And my question again is, do we take that seriously? And here it comes, because here's the expert, right? A guy who's supposed to know exactly what he's talking about, the guy who just nailed the exam, and then verse 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself looking for a loophole moment of confession i'm on my way to church last saturday afternoon just after lunch i'm driving down the road just thinking about stuff on my way to church and i notice a white suv pulls in behind me a white suv with really pretty red and blue lights on top of it flashing (laughs) and i think to myself i should pull over So that he can go after whatever nefarious criminal he is pursuing at this particular time. So I pull over to the lane and he follows me. Can you believe that? He follows me over to the shoulder and I realize I've not been checking my speedometer. I'm not sure what he might want. But but I end up on the side of the road with a very, very beautiful white SUV behind me. And some of you are sinning in church right now because you're judging me. So I'm just going to say this straight out, okay? If you hold a valid driver's license and you've never been pulled over by a police officer, you can judge me. The rest of you need to leave your sanctimonious, pharisaical type of attitudes towards me and walk out the door right now. Thank you, Jesus. So funny. I tell you I get pulled over and people are just like, pastor, pastor, pastor. So I'm sitting on the side of the road. My first thought, first thought, how am I going to explain this to Laurel? First thought, okay? Second thought, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of this? And I thought for a millisecond, I'm actually a chaplain with the sheriff's department. I have a sheriff's department parking pass with this really nice shield on it that's in the same glove box as my insurance and my registration. And I thought, if I just happened to pull them all out together, 
we could have a brother moment and it'd be fine, right? And that just went away. That just went away. It was there for a second, just being honest, all right? Sometimes you should have to come up here and confess your deepest sin. Now, see how that goes for you. But, but I, the, the reality is this. I know the law of the land. The law of the land coming over Wiser Lake is 50 miles an hour. But I'm thinking, surely there's a loophole for me. I'm a good person. So I sit and wait. A distinguished member of the Washington State Patrol comes to my window. He informs me that we are being recorded, both audio and video. So I fix my hair. So I, you know, <laughs> no, all right. He asked me, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I actually don't know why you pulled me over. He said that he clocked me going faster than I should have been, okay? So <laughs> he asked me where I was going. I was honest. I told him church <laughs> while I'm praying. You know, that place of grace, of, you know. Here's the bottom line. I got pulled over because I was not being obedient to the command of the law of the land. I was speeding. So I apologized. I said, I'm sorry, officer. And I handed him my paperwork. And he went back to his car. And I sat there. And some of you drove by <laughs> and honked your horns and waved an encouragement. <laughs> and I responded by murdering you in my brain. That's what happened, just being honest. And then I noticed behind the first SUV pulls up a second white SUV. And I'm like, what in the world? They are double copping me. What in the world is going on? And then it gets worse because out of the second SUV steps a Washington State trooper who attends Christ the King Community Church. And I will not name him, but his initials are Scott Brown. Okay, just so you know. <laughs> and he comes up to the car with a big smile on his face. And I learned, especially if you have a radio, be sure your sins will find you out. And he comes to the car with a smile on his face. And I start yelling out the window, I'll just pay the fine. Just let me pay the fine. Okay. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is way too much fun. We're going to have a little time here on the side of the road as the whole population of Whatcom County is driving by. And by the time we were all done, I got a lesson in grace. I promised my wife I'd slow down, and I had a great story to tell in church. <laughs> because I will be honest with you, my first thought, how do I get out of this? Where's the loophole? I don't think I'm the only person who thinks that way. We love the sentiment when Jesus says to us, love your enemy. It sounds so good. Pray for those who persecute you. And some of us take that very seriously. Oh, I'm going to pray for my enemy, all right. I'm going to pray that God strikes them down with some rare strain of disease. I'm going to pray that God takes care of them in an unbelievably tough way. I'm, uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to love them, hence the term enemy. I'm going to hate them because that's what you're supposed to do with an enemy. So Jesus, thank you for the suggestion, but love a terrorist not a chance. Love a white supremacist? Are you kidding me? 
Love someone from a different political persuasion? Not a chance. I love who I want, when I want, under the conditions that I choose. And don't you dare tell me to love them. Because I don't want to love my enemy. And then I've got to stop and think, and I remember the Bible says that I'm a natural-born enemy of God, and Jesus decided to love me and pray for me and forgive me and have mercy on me, and suddenly I'm so thankful that the Jesus who has the audacity to say, love your enemy, I'm so thankful he practiced what he preached when it came to me. But if I'm honest, when I hear love your enemy, I, first, I, I start thinking right away, how am I going to get out of that one? How about this one? How about Sabbath? The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, or any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we hear that and we go, that's a really nice suggestion, Jesus. Thank you so very much for saying that in the Old Testament. But I can't afford to do that. I'm very, very busy. I can't set aside an entire day for rest and spiritual recuperation. I got to get stuff done. And I don't care if this is the way you want it done. I'm going to do what I want when I want because it's my time. It's my life. And you are not the boss of me. Thanks for the suggestion, Jesus. But loophole, I'm the grand exception. My life is different. Let's just turn it up an extra notch. How about tithing? Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. And we hear that and we go, are you kidding me? 10% of my income? That's crazy talk. Not a chance. And Christ the King, I'm going to say this to you. My Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. So hopefully we can have a friendly talk here just right now. And I'm not saying this because we're in financial straits or need money. Actually, because of the generosity of so many people in this place, we're actually in a really healthy spot in the month of January. But I'm going to say this as your friend and hopefully as your pastor and that you'll receive it. 81% of the people who come to this church have chosen a loophole over what Jesus says about tithing. Why? Because I'm the exception. And I thank you very much, Jesus, for your universal command. And and I don't even want to look at the promise because I just don't think that stuff applies to me. And we can argue whether or not tithing is an Old Testament deal. In fact, I love talking about that kind of stuff with people. So, Grant, that's Old Testament. I know. You want to talk New Testament generosity with me? That's fantastic. Jesus gave everything everything for us and poured out all of his love with grace and with extravagance. He didn't choose the loophole. Do you remember the conversation between him and his father in the garden of Gethsemane? Jesus, or God, could, could this cut pass for me? And the answer was no, no loopholes. Why? Because God loves his people that much.
Let's just throw one more on there. Are we looking for a loophole on love? Because it's inconvenient and hard and difficult. Because it involves messy people. Just for the record, we're all messy. We're looking for a loophole when, when Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And what's the loophole that comes out immediately? Grant, you do not know my neighbors. They leave the garbage can out all week long. They're messy. They're loud. They do this. They do that. Therefore, I'm out. Loophole? So we have to come back to the question, do we take Jesus serious? Or are we like the Old Testament law keeper who wanted to justify himself? By the way, the story's not over. In fact, I love what happens next. The Bible says this, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down. So he tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, a religious guy, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Loophole. So to a Levite, another religious guy, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But... Uh, Samaritan, and I'll unpack why that was scandalous for Jesus to say. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's Old Testament medicine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, which is a lot of money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus asked an incredible question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, and go and do likewise. A couple quick points. Some of you that have done church for a really long time, I know. I read the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and your first response is, I get it, Grant. I've been learning this stuff since I was in the second grade. I've been doing Sunday school my whole life. I get it. I understand the point of this story. Be the good Samaritan. Do nice things. I do nice things. I already am the good Samaritan. Can we move on to something a little theologically deeper? And we get caught. We get caught looking at a story and automatically there's something inside of us as human beings that just needs to be the hero of the story. There's a fancy term for it. You've heard me say it before if you've been hanging around here. Narcissistic eisegesis. Where we have to be the center of the story. And that's why I never get tired of saying this. When you read the story of the Good Samaritan. The point of the story is not just be the Good Samaritan. The point is never forget we're the man in the road. We're not the hero. We're the man in the road. And that's what should motivate us. To not sidestep a need, but to actually see a need and meet it. And in this context, it's the need that every human being has to be loved. 
I mean, let's be honest, all of us, we got beaten and bloodied by our own sin. We got waylaid by our own sinful choices. We got kicked to the curb and people thought we were just too messy and we're on the side of the road bleeding out like I was. And Jesus showed up. Religious people, not touching that guy. He's just a little too messy for me. Jesus shows up, sees the need, has mercy, picks me up, walks me to a place of healing, and picks up the whole tab. Because I had nothing to give him. I love this. In the story, Jesus is the outsider who just paid attention. He's the hero of the story. And if we follow Jesus, because of what he did for us, we're supposed to be motivated. That's why he says, go and do likewise. But don't do it because you think you're the hero of the story. You do it always remembering what Jesus saved you from and what he saved you to and what he saved you for. If you read the story, did you notice it? The religious people sidestepped the need that was right in front of them. Priest and a Levite, two guys who should have known better. Here's what's amazing. They knew the Old Testament rules, and you didn't touch a Samaritan. They were dirty. They were unclean. Jews and Samaritans did not get along at all. And they didn't care enough to get their hands dirty, so they sidestepped it. Here's the crazy thing. They were actually following the letter of the law, and in doing so, they completely missed God's heart. So Jesus' followers... Have you, like me, overlooked the sovereign placement of people that God has put right in front of you? Right in front of you. And I know, I know, I have the same excuses. I don't have time. I don't have time to love my neighbor. I'm too busy going to church. We sidestep the commandment or, or we try to paint a different picture. No, 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 Grant, you don't understand. I, I care about the, the whole world. My love is so much more broad. Can I tell you something? Good, but that doesn't excuse what Jesus said about taking serious his command to love the people that he put the closest to you. Here's the bottom line. Love has no loopholes. Love has no loopholes. Now I get it. To the theological neatniks in the room. Some of you are looking at it going, I think I found a loophole. Grant, the story doesn't happen in a neighborhood. It happens on a road between two cities. Loophole. <laughs> Some theological people will go, it's, it's a story. It's a parable. It's a metaphor. So let's follow that line of reasoning. If it's just a metaphor, it means I'm going to metaphorically love my metaphorical neighbors and hope that Jesus brings a metaphorical rely, uh, revival to my metaphorical neighborhood. Your neighbors are real people. You're a real person. So are we going to take what Jesus says seriously or not. 
I mean, the fact that this story's backdrop is on a road doesn't invalidate everything else that Jesus teaches through Scripture about you being a neighbor to the people that he strategically put around you. Because I'm going to point something out. In the language that Jesus spoke, there are words for co-worker. There are words for friend. There are words for people who just happen to be in front of you, and Jesus didn't pick any of them. He picked the word neighbor. The sovereign God all of creation. The sovereign God who painted the most beautiful sunrise this morning. I saw it as I was coming over Wiser Lake and repenting for what happened last Saturday (laughs) and noticing what was happening to my left over top of a beautiful breathtaking mountain and lake. It was absolutely God. The God who made that picture location and the location of those who live next to you in your apartment, your condo, your road, your dorm, your acreage. And then he tells a story about an outsider, a Samaritan. A Samaritan. An enemy of the guy who was lying on the side of the road. A Samaritan, a messy person, not a professional, not a pastor, a non-Pharisee, which would have freaked out. They would have freaked out all the Pharisees who were there listening to Jesus that day. Of all the people you could have picked, you shouldn't have picked him. Because he's an enemy. Isn't it just so cool that Jesus also said, love your enemy. This is a graduate course level, or the graduate level course in love right here. And that guy, the most unthinkable person, the regular person, doesn't sidestep or overlook the person who's right in front of them. And God uses his compassion to change a human life. And that same Jesus says to the people who worship at 4173 Guide Meridian, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So let's wrap this up. Here's my conviction. Until we see our neighbors as Jesus sees them, we're never going to love them like Jesus loves them. So last week I gave you some homework. And some of you talked to me after the service. You said, Grant, that is not what I expected to come out of your mouth. I kept thinking I was going to hear it, right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put signs in our front yard, and we're going to go on a neighboring tangent, and we're going to try and do all this stuff in our neighborhoods, and then we're going to all have a picnic and a street party, and we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, and then we're going to get together at, West, at Civic Stadium, and we're going to bring in a Christian celebrity and a big band, and then you're going to preach, and if you get it right, a whole bunch of people are coming to Jesus, and it's going to be just awesome and fantastic. You did not expect me to say that this is where we're going with this. This is not a campaign. This is obedience. It's obedience or it's a loophole. So I asked you to do something last week. It wasn't big. Just pay attention. Just pay attention. Take the commandment seriously and just see who has God sovereignly put around me. And then ask yourself the question, do I love them as much as I love me? Just pay attention. Do they smile when they go to their mailbox? Do they hide from you? Do they avoid you on purpose? Do they carry the weight of the world on their 
shoulders? Have you ever seen tears? What kinds of conversations do you hear over top of the fence? Do you know their name? Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus loves them as much as he loves you? So just pay attention. And this week, here comes the, this is, this is heavy theological stuff. Pray. And right away you're thinking, oh yeah, absolutely, I need to start praying from those godless neighbors of mine. Man, we're going to get that garbage can situation taken care of once and for all. Because there's an 11th commandment somewhere about leaving your garbage can out. Actually, do me a favor. Don't pray for them yet. Well, you can if you already started. Pray for God to change your heart towards them. Pray for your heart to change so that you take Jesus seriously. Pray that your heart will not just go to the loopholes, because I'll tell you what, it seems to be a normal part of the human condition. Pray that God changes you so that you don't sidestep a need because you're just too busy or you haven't got enough margin. We'll talk about those kinds of things next week. Pray that God changes your heart so that you never ever again have to play a, a religious get out of love free card. No more ignoring, just obedience. I know it seems like baby steps, but I'm going to remind you why, why would I pay attention and pray that God changes my heart? It's because of the promise in Acts chapter 17. Because then perhaps men might seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, even though he's not far from any of us. In fact, if you think of it this way, if you are an incarnational follower of Jesus, the way Jesus is present in your neighborhood is through you. So, we're not going to sing a rousing song to try and get ourselves all together, and we're not going to come together in the center of the room and go, you know, neighbors on three. Um, <laughs> we're going to take Jesus seriously by paying attention and praying that God would change our heart. So, would you do me a favor? Would you stand together? Let's pray together before we go. Father God, in Jesus' name today, I thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to be honest. Thank you for an opportunity to talk about how easy it is to, to take a loophole instead of obedience. And God, I'm asking, would you change my heart for the way I look at that number on the front of my house? God, would you change my heart as I look at the people who you have sovereignly placed around me? God, may I not be guilty like the priest and the Levite. And may I never, ever forget that I'm the man in the road. And you're the hero of the story. And the hero of this story has said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So God, as we continue to, to wade into 
either simple obedience or simple disobedience. I pray for my brothers and my sisters this week that you would give us great courage to hear you, to know you, to love you, and to obey you. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.